Our reading for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. It's great to see everyone uh, on Zoom. Uh, as I explained in my letter on Friday, uh, we'll be switching to a entirely Zoom service for the time being. Uh, even though we could meet uh, at this time, in the spirit of following the state's broader safety guidelines, we decided to wait until the number of positive cases falls below the state's travel advisory recommendations for other states. And so uh, we want to be proactive in our care for one another and to err uh, if we need to on the side of caution and safety, um, especially in light of the fact that cases are really just kind of trending uh, very high th uh, these days. Uh, so let's continue to pray uh, for our state, for our country, for the world, uh, so that these cases uh, would be reduced and uh, decline and that we can resume uh, in-person services with everyone uh, as soon as possible. Uh, please pray with me. God, we thank you for uh, this day that we can gather together to worship. Uh, we pray now uh, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would speak to our spirits, and that in the hearing, we would be strengthened, we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, and we would be obedient to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is now the fifth of eight sermons, in case you're counting, that uh, I'm preaching on the Beatitudes. So far, we've heard that the poor in spirit are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted, that the meek are blessed because they will inherit the earth, and last week, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are blessed because they shall be satisfied. So today we're going to consider the next beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This beatitude is probably the simplest of the beatitudes to understand. Unlike all the others, one's present condition or status matches one's future blessing. What you are results in receiving the same. The merciful receive mercy. So let's start with the meaning of mercy. Rather than looking at a dictionary, I thought we'd uh, start today by looking at the way this word is used in the gospel of Matthew. It appears 11 times in the gospel, six times 
the word is spoken by Jesus, and five times it is spoken by others. After the Beatitudes, the next two times that the word mercy appears is Jesus quoting from Hosea 6. Matthew 9, go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And there he's quoting from Hosea 6. And again, in Matthew 12, he says the same thing. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Again, he's quoting from the same passage in Hosea 6. Now, what's really interesting about this is the translation that Jesus, or perhaps the translation that Matthew makes of what Jesus says. Here's what Hosea 6 looks like in the ESV. For I desire steadfast love, or chesed, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Steadfast love, or chesed, and we've seen this word many times. It's the one Hebrew word that you ought to know if you don't know anything else. It's the unique quality of God's steadfast love or loyalty in action. It's loving kindness or faithful love, kindness, covenantal faithfulness. It's not the word that is usually translated as mercy, but that's what Jesus does here. And I'm not going to be the one to criticize Jesus's word choice. So one way to think about mercy, Jesus says, is to think of it as this chesed or steadfast love, covenantal faithfulness. Then the next time mercy appears in Jesus's mouth is in Matthew 18, where he tells a parable about a servant who owes a king a debt that is so large that it is impossible to even imagine, let alone pay back. But the servant begs the king, and out of pity, the king takes the loss and forgives his servant this enormous debt. But then when that forgiven servant goes after a fellow servant to collect a tiny, tiny debt owed to him and does not extend the same mercy, the king becomes enraged and punishes the servant severely, asking, shouldn't you also have had mercy like I had mercy on you? And then finally, in Matthew 23, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees and the scribes for their attention to minor details of the law, like tithing herbs and spices, while neglecting the far more important aspects of the law, that is, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So taken together, Jesus sees mercy as a fundamental way of life for those who would follow or obey God. It is clear that mercy is not just a feeling, though it certainly does include that. Mercy requires covenantally faithful actions of relief toward those in need. Now, we can see this even more clearly in the way that the word is used as it's spoken by others in the gospel. Four times it appears, and the word appears five times. So whether it's the blind looking for miraculous sight, whether it's a mother looking for healing for her demon-oppressed daughter, or whether it's a father pleading for healing for his suffering son, all these people ask Jesus, the Lord, the son of David, for mercy. They're appealing to his power on the basis of nothing other than who Jesus is, the Lord, the son of God, the son of David. They know they have no right to healing. They have no way to demand healing. 
and no way of earning that healing. They know they are not somehow more worthy or deserving of that healing. But what they know is that they need that help and that only Jesus can help them. So they plead, they cry out, and they pray for mercy. And Jesus responds to those pleads of mercy with healing, with sight, and with healing. So mercy is undeserved relief to those who receive it. And it is not just a feeling of pity for those who give it, but an action of relief taken on behalf of those in a position to give it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, for example, defines mercy as a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve suffering. That is the essential meaning of merciful, of being merciful. It is pity plus action. Similarly, the Puritan preacher Thomas Manton wrote that mercy is a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready in all occasions to be instrumental for their good. Jesus called for mercy and responded in mercy because that is the very nature of God. Jesus tells us plainly in Luke 6, be merciful even as your father is merciful. That God is merciful is a core confession throughout the scriptures for the people of God. The people of Israel learned very early in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Even when the people repeatedly disobeyed and rebelled against God, God patiently extended his mercy over and over and over again. The prophet Joel is typical in his pleading with the people on the basis of God's mercy. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Because God is merciful, those who know God can call upon God to act in mercy. I can tell you that in my own life, especially in the last decade or so, I've been asking God for mercy more and more. I've noticed that in my prayers and in my daily journal uh, entries, that I'm increasingly asking God and writing, Lord, have mercy. I'm doing that more now, I think, because I find myself more and more in circumstances beyond my ability to resolve or to solve. And I know that only God's mercy can help. It's not giving up, but it's really trying to lean upon God and God's help as the only solution. And this is a shared profession and the cry of God's people throughout scripture. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, his mercies never, never come to an end. We call upon God because we know that God understands our misery and will come to us in mercy. A quick little word study. As Jesus did with his translation of Hosea 6, there are 
several different words that can be translated as mercy. One of the more common ones and the most interesting of these is the Hebrew racham, because the root of this word means the womb, the womb. Ancient people thought that the seat of emotions was in the belly, in the womb, or the intestines. The old King James Version, for example, similarly used bowels, that is uh, the intestines, to indicate the place of compassion. For example, in Colossians 3, Paul writes, put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That sounds kind of gross. Like, how do you, you know, uh, do that? But here's the way the uh, ESV translates it. Compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. That sounds a lot better than bowels of mercies, right? In the parable about the merciful servant that Jesus gave in Matthew 18, Jesus used this word to describe the king's motivation. He was moved by pity or compassion or more literally by his bowels, right? And we still retain some of this sensibility when we say things like, I feel it in my guts. Even when we say that we are brokenhearted or heartsick, it's something we can feel in the pit of our stomachs. Mercy is something, uh, an experience that we experience at the core of our being, down in our belly. It's sharing in the innermost being the pain of others. So William Barclay says that mercy is the ability to get right inside the other person's skin until we can see things with his eyes, think things with his mind, and feel things with his feelings. When you really get inside someone else's suffering, you wouldn't just sit there and ignore those feelings or hope that it just goes away. You would do something. That is mercy. And in this sense, the words compassion and sympathy in their original meaning are good synonyms for mercy because both words mean to feel with or to suffer with. It's to identify with someone's suffering in the depths of your being, which results then in action of relief. We see this repeatedly in Jesus. He was regularly moved with compassion, meaning that he didn't just feel bad about someone's situation, but he did something about it in mercy. In Matthew 14, he had compassion and healed the sick. In Matthew 15, he had compassion and he gave them food to eat. In Mark 6, he had compassion and he taught them many things. In compassion, Jesus acted to relieve what the others were in need of. You know that the world says that you are blessed if you can avoid suffering. Jesus says, you are blessed if you share in the suffering of others. John Calvin put it this way. Christ says that those are happy who are not only prepared to endure their own afflictions, but to take a share in the afflictions of others who assist the wretched, who willingly take part with those who are in distress, who clothe themselves, as it were, with the same affections that they may be more readily disposed to render them assistance. Again, to show mercy is to willingly take part in someone's suffering, to absorb that wrong, to accept that loss, and in other ways, to alleviate their need. You all know the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Jesus taught that parable in response to a lawyer who asked him the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus says, well, an unidentified man lies near death on the road after having been beaten and robbed. A couple of religious leaders see him. Perhaps they even feel pity for the man, but they do nothing and just pass by. Then a Samaritan, someone despised by their community, walks by and at potential risk and significant loss to himself, takes care of the man and makes possible his healing. After telling this parable, Jesus asked the lawyer, who proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus was asked the question, who is my neighbor? But Jesus forces the lawyer and us to answer a more important question for ourselves. Jesus is less concerned about who your neighbors are than with the question, what kind of neighbor are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of neighbor that ignores those in need? Or are you going to be the kind of neighbor who shows mercy to relieve the suffering of others at risk and at cost to yourself? Or at the very least, at some inconvenience to your own comforts? Go and do likewise. It's a little embarrassing for me uh, to admit this, but one of the first things that came to mind when I thought about mercy was the Karate Kid and its current follow-up on Netflix, Cobra Kai. Any fans? Just one hand, okay. Um, if you are at all familiar with the story or the show, uh, you know that the motto of the Cobra, uh, the Cobra Kai Karate Dojo is strike first, strike hard, no mercy, sir. They teach their students that mercy is for the weak, that in a sparring session or in a tournament or in an actual fight, you don't show mercy. You do whatever you need to do to win and you try to completely destroy and humiliate your opponents. Now, maybe you didn't train at the feet of Reese at the Cobra Kai Dojo, but you were probably taught that you have to be strong, that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and you better be aggressive, and you better beat your competition. For some of you, the idea of mercy may conjure up unwanted softness. Maybe you have images of parents who are too lenient with their children and spoil them. Or perhaps you have the image of a judicial system that unfairly lets criminals off the hook. In today's rhetoric, mercy is something like being soft on crime. But I hope you can see, as in the parable that Jesus tells, that mercy requires great commitment and great strength. It is the farthest thing from softness or weakness. For those of you who have read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson or have seen the movie, you know that the call for compassion and justice is not a call for some soppy sentimentality. Mercy doesn't mean you ignore justice. It doesn't mean that you deny sin or hurt. It doesn't mean you gloss over irresponsibility or the suffering caused by negligence. 
Rather, mercy injects an attitude of compassionate understanding that seeks to deal more gently with those who have wronged you. It's the incredible power that you yield to refrain from retaliation when you would be justified in demanding a particular punishment. The thing is, we all need mercy. Mercy is something that we all need. Maybe you said something insensitive or offensive after having drunk a little too much. Maybe you missed a deadline for a class assignment and you're worried that you're going to flunk. Maybe you smashed your dad's engagement ring even though you weren't supposed to be playing with it and destroyed it. Maybe you got caught cheating, lying, stealing, or speeding, and you're facing some tough consequences of those actions. Mercy does not excuse bad behavior or sin. It calls instead to treat others with gentle understanding. Jesus says, those who show mercy shall receive mercy. And again, here, it's implied that as I've mentioned before, they shall receive mercy from God. Those who show mercy shall receive mercy from God. Mercy comes from God who is merciful and who showed his mercy on the cross. As in the parable of the Good Samaritan or in the parable of the unmerciful servant, mercy is not free. It is costly for those who give it. Romans 5 teaches, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Mercy costs Christ his life. God is righteous. God must and will judge sin and injustice. So God in that sense is not obligated to act with mercy toward us. But mercy is also God's nature. James 2 reassures us, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the good news. Because God is the father of all mercies. That is our only hope. It is God's mercy and God's mercy alone that saves us. Titus 3, he saved us, not because of works done by, our, by us in righteousness, but according to God's own mercy. According to God's own mercy, he saved us. I think the merciful will not only receive mercy from God, but they are merciful because they've already received mercy from God. As recipients of God's mercy, we are called to respond to others in mercy. Some of you might remember uh, the speech of mercy given by Portia in Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath, it is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. It is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth then show likest gods when mercy seasons justice. When mercy seasons justice. Mercy is twice blessed, the one who gives and the one who receives. And we 
are like God when mercy seasons justice, because that is what God has done for us on the cross. Maybe a little bit jarring to go from The Karate Kid to the movie Schindler's List, but there is a good illustrative scene in that in which Oscar Schindler and a sadistic SS officer discuss power. For those of you who are too young to remember, Schindler's List is based on the real story of Oscar Schindler, who managed to save about a thousand Jews during the Holocaust. And in this scene, the Nazi commander posits that his ability to kill anyone in the concentration camp without thought, without repercussion, is the essence of absolute power. But Schindler counters him with these words. Power is when we have every justification to kill and we don't. That's what the emperor said. A man steals something, he's brought in before the emperor, he throws himself down on the ground, he begs for his life, he knows he's going to die, and the emperor pardons him. This worthless man, he lets him go. That is power. That's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Schindler's point is that everyone has the power to kill, but only the emperor, only those in positions of great power can forgive, absorb the debt, and show mercy. When you have every power and even every right to punish, can you instead show mercy to your neighbor? Can you forgive a large debt as the king does? That's what God has done and that's the question and the call that Jesus has for us. Those who are shown mercy are expected to practice mercy. It is not a precondition to receive mercy since mercy is undeserved, but it ought to be a natural consequence of those who have received mercy. Those who do not show mercy probably means that they have not really understood have not really accepted the mercy that has been shown to them by God to begin with. But when you experience and when you truly know that you are forgiven by the mercy of God, it, it ought to flow out in ripples in your life. Mercy forgoes retaliation and revenge in favor of restoration and relationship. And as you do that, you have the promise of receiving the mercy of God from the Father of all mercies. You receive mercy not in some quid pro quo fashion, but as you immerse yourself in mercy, as you forgive, as you also have been forgiven, as you show compassion, as compassion has been shown to you, you experience the blessings of the mercy of God even as you extend it to others. Because showing mercy is a sign of the reality, the new reality of having received the mercy of God. Let me close by reminding you of another story that you all know. In thinking about mercy, my first thoughts turn to the story of Jean Valjean and Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. You recall that the main character, Jean Valjean, is jailed for stealing a mouthful of bread and finds himself upon his release a pariah in society. No one trusts him, everyone despises him except for one man, a bishop, who treats him like a human being and not a convict. But the hardened Valjean 
cannot accept that immediately, and so steals from the bishop and runs away, only to be caught by the police and brought back to the bishop to face sentencing. Now, at that moment, the bishop has complete power over Valjean's life. He could say, yes, this man stole from me, and Valjean would be locked up in prison once again. That would be just. That would be the law. However, the bishop chooses instead to lie to the police and says that Valjean did not steal from him, but in fact that he gave those, uh, the, the, the silver as a gift. And in fact, he says that Jean, Valjean had forgotten to take the additional silver candlesticks, which he now he gives to him. That is mercy. The bishop showed mercy at great cost of his personal possessions, his silverware, the silver candlesticks. And also, I would say, as a bishop, of lying intentionally to the police. And the bishop tells the Jacques Valjean, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul I buy from you. I withdraw it back from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. The bishop essentially tells him what Jesus told the man who asked about who is my neighbor. Go and do likewise. Freely you have received, now freely give. That is our high calling. Be the kind of neighbor that shows mercy and be blessed. Let's pray together. God, we are mindful that we, each and every one of us, have been the recipients of your great mercy, and we give you thanks. We're also mindful of the times that we have received mercy from our family, from our friends, and perhaps even from our enemies. So we ask God that when we find ourselves in a position of power, in a position to show mercy, that we would do likewise. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.